Welcome to Moose's Mulligans, the place where sports fantasy meets sports reality and gives it a big atomic wedgie. Hey, I'm your host, Alex Dryzak. So with our special edition Title IX episode, we received a lot of suggestions for another special edition episode, but instead we did this one. I'm just kidding, but we did receive some requests to do an episode where we talked about athlete abuse, both physical and mental. So now for this segment, it was difficult to get them off the porch while yelling at the children to get off their lawn, but they're here before the early bird special. I'd like to welcome Dr. Phil Sarens and Dr. Alan Streisak. How are you guys doing? Great. Hanging in there, dude. So... Uh, what I wanted to ask you guys was about some personal experiences uh, about athlete abuse that could help enlighten some people about what happens and consequences or perks from it. You want to start? You want Go me ahead, to... because I don't okay. have any athletes in my family. <laughs> By the way, this is my dad, so that's a good start. Uh, okay, well, that was really sweet to hear that. But anyhow... Uh, First and foremost, I want to say that Title IX uh, has been great for my family because I have three daughters and two of them, because of Title IX, uh, played sports in college. And one of them, because both of them, well, one of them, because of Title IX, got into UCLA and she wouldn't have otherwise. That being said, uh, her experience at UCLA was short-lived with sports, not her experience at UCLA. She graduated from UCLA. But her coach was an All-American crew member who played, who, who did crew for the women in the Olympics, phenomenal athlete. And in crew, for the most part, you're looking for very large people, very tall people. So they, they usually recruit volleyball players or basketball players that don't make the team and, and are looking for something to do. And they bring them in and they teach them how to row a boat. In my daughter's case, she came from New, Newport Aquatic Center and she was very skilled in crew but she was only five foot five and a half. And she was told fairly early on by the coach that she was never going to really make the team because she was too small. So part of the abuse that she suffered was one, she had to get up at 4.30 in the morning to be out on a boat to help the team by training women who had never been in a boat before. And the abuse was that they, since they didn't know what they were doing, they were splashing in this water from Marina Del Rey into her mouth and she got some kind of a cold or, or some kind of flu cold symptoms. And when she went to the doctor, they had no idea what the infection was. So, of course, shortly after that, she decided it might not be the best thing to do to continue. So she still loves crew, but that was, it was short-lived. My other daughter played soccer for the University of Maryland. And when she was recruited uh, by her head coach, she had a very... Uh, Great experience. There were two uh, recruits the same age. They both were goalkeepers fighting for the job consistently. After the second year, two things happened. One, my daughter was injured in the NCAA tournament and had to have surgery. And her coach left for a better paying job. The new coach came in and it was her first, it wasn't her first coaching experience and she also played on the u.s women's national team and was considered if not the best one of the top players in the history of the game right but playing and coaching are two different things and one of the things you don't want to do as a coach is lie to your players 
because it's very hard to backstep after you lie if you get caught in a lie. I think it's true in parenting as well as in coaching. And, and let's face it, parent or coaches are, in a sense, extensions of their of the kids' parents because this is for many kids the first time they're away from their families. So that authoritative uh, ability of a coach is very important that it's honest and fair. And in this case, it wasn't. She lied about the money that my daughter was going to be getting. My daughter said, but that's not what she told me. And instead of saying, well, something happened and I can't give it to you now, she said we never had a conversation about money. Pretty hard when the kid was there and listened to the conversation. So yeah. Pretty hard knowing your kid, too. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's very true she's too. Very, very tough. And you know, I had teammates. I've seen transfer schools just because the money they were promised. They said, "Oh, never mind. This guy didn't go in the MLB draft. Never mind. We're getting this junior college transfer. We have to give the money to, and they have to change their whole collegiate life. That's right. Go and, across and the fact, country. And, in my in case of my daughter, that's one of the things the coach tried to pressure her into. I told my daughter from then on to tape every conversation she had with this coach. So I started the podcast. There you go. And so she had these conversations and she taped, but unfortunately sometimes the conversations were longer than the tape could run and you'd hear a click go off because the tape player had was done for two hours. They tried to pressure my daughter into transferring or quitting. This was going to be her junior year. And of course she didn't want to do that. And she didn't do that. And she stayed. And because she stayed and, and the only advice I gave my daughter is this is a learning experience. So you have to treat it like that. And your job is to try to get as much out of the coach, just like she tries to get as much out of each player. And you don't have to let the coach know you're doing it, but that's your job and that's your learning experience. And so she did do that. And it ended up by the end of that year uh, and the next year, actually, uh, she was uh, named to the Umbro Select, which uh, for college at that time, it was kind of like being in the pro or not the pro, well, pro bowl or yeah. the senior bowl in college. And uh, you have to be, you have to be, uh, you know, put into it by your coach. So her coach, she won the coach over and it, it wasn't easy, but she did. So those, but it was very abusive. She, you know, she was very, very frustrated. And because of her temperament, she could handle it. A lot of kids can handle it. And, um, and they don't have the support or the knowledge with their parents to help them handle it. And so it can be a very abusive thing. Interesting because it's 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 actually much worse than Phil is making it sound. He's he's actually not giving you. I mean, put yourself in the person of the athlete. Okay, you're 18 years old. A coach comes to your high school and tells you, "Leave home, come play with my team. We're going to make everything great for you. You're going to love it here." Now, either they don't pan out, or maybe they get an injury, no fault of their own. And now they're on the bench. And now what the coach wants out of you isn't your best performance. They want your scholarship out of you. They want the money back to give to somebody else who's healthy. Right. And there's no limit to how they can mentally, I don't want to use the word torture, but you're all by yourself far away from home. Amazingly, it'll be teammates who support you or coaches from other sports who support you. If you can find them. And so it's it's think of the loneliness of that athlete. Athletes are they want to please. They're highly motivated, focused individuals. They want to please that coach. That's the authority figure. And if your coach is a bum, it doesn't change the fact that something inside of yourself 
feels like you let them down. It's always the physical abuse part of it hurts for a second, being slapped, having a ball thrown at you. But the mental abuse, the difference between saying you need to learn this technique better, even if you curse at them and say you need to learn this technique better, that's different than saying you're soft, you don't want it bad enough, you are selfish. Those stick with a kid. Now, I definitely had a teammate that had to go through that who uh, he had what was an attitude problem at the time when he came in. And this, we had a great coach that was able to turn it into a strength of his. He used his attitude to drive him. Of course, he didn't have an attitude problem when they recruited him. Uh, yeah, I would say he didn't really have one at first. And then well, he but I mean, did... he was the same kid when they recruited him. Yeah. What changes the coach, not the kid. So then the coach brings him in, gets him rolling, and he was one of the. He was my favorite because he was one of the best players I've ever seen when he used it. And then that coach leaves him behind, and the next year was just brutal for this kid because it turned into a problem again. And that's that's just where I've seen what I'm relating to you because they they wouldn't do it. The guy would physically beat himself. He was so strong. He would go in the weight room and do it himself. But mentally, they would just wear on that kid, just telling him, "Does he really want it enough to carry the whole team on?" His Sometimes back. it can happen even after the fact. Like in my case, when my daughter left the. Uh, crew team at UCLA, the coach was bad-mouthing her in front of the whole team. Unfortunately for the coach, the team, like uh, Alan stated, they supported her because they knew that she was a team player. They knew that she was a wonderful person, and they stood up and told the coach if she said anything negative about her again, they were all going to quit the team, and she was going to have no team. And that was the last time the coach ever did that. That's a good thing to hear. Think of how much harder it is if you come from a single-parent family. For a lot of the girls, it's their dad who sits them down and says, no boyfriend can talk to you like that. No husband can talk to you like that. No employer can talk to you like that. And certainly this coach can't talk to you like that. But if you don't have a strong father figure to tell you that, you start to question your self-worth. Right. We've definitely seen different stories of that. One I'm going to cut to now and just give a little clip for the viewers is the Rutgers video, their head coach of basketball had all these issues with not only throwing basketballs at kids during practice, but calling them very derogatory names and how it, it mentally put the players down. I mean, you know, the problem is, is that, you know, whenever Timpanetti came into the gym, Mike Rice was on his best behavior. You know, he's clapping, he's positive, you know. As soon as Tempernetti leaves, you know, every kid's an asshole, bitch, a it, you know, a, a c you know. And that's how it was to witness that video and to see your coach physically putting his hands on players, physically kicking players, you know, firing balls at players from point blank range, the the verbal abuse, the belittling. Well, I never saw physical abuse like that, and my and either did my kids that I know of. Uh, thank goodness, because I probably would have ended up in trouble if somebody was being abusive like that to one of my kids. Uh, but the verbal abuse and the and the mental abuse that definitely. But I kind of look at it as a challenge because for ninety nine percent of all women, they're not going on to play professional sports. They're not out there for really for women yet, so it's just not going to happen. And the reality is for most men, 
the reality is they're not going to play professional sports either. Right. The dream, though, for all these people out there, you know, it's kind of like you look at AYSO. Everybody thinks their kid's the next Pele or something. And it's it's not true. So it's a learning experience. And, and the other thing is if you play college sports and you're getting compensated for it, it's a job. And what the kids have to do is take the amount of money they're getting compensated, divide that by the amount of hours that they're putting in for practice, travel, and the games themselves, and that's their hourly wage that they're getting paid to work for the school. It's interesting you bring it up. Our poll question for next week, we've already gotten a ton of responses, was that 71% of people that voted on it don't think the athletes are compensated enough for the amount of uh, practice time and yelling they have to go through. But I, I definitely I can see where you're coming from there. I just thought it was interesting it tied into our poll question there. I think people misunderstand because athletes are strong, capable, celebrated. Um, maybe as a kid, they're more likely to be good students also. But they're also very vulnerable because of the dreams that they have, because of the goals that they have, because of the effort they put in. They're they're very vulnerable to abuse and you know, there's, I see, in, you, can, you can talk about there's abuse and then there's really bad abuse. So when I used to be a physician for a, an ice hockey team, there are ice hockey teams, older guys, they might be skating off the ice at 10 o'clock or midnight because ice time is very expensive. Who's coming on at midnight, 2 a.m., 4 a.m.? Little midget hockey players in the middle of the night. That's a sort of an abuse in a way. You're getting these kids in the middle of the night. They have to go out to an ice rink and, and their you know, parents have to arrange who's going to pick them up, who's going to take them down. Then there's the kind of abuse that stays with, with, stays with you for your whole life. And that's the thing. I, the first place I really saw that was elite gymnasts. There's a really good book uh, Joan Ryan wrote years ago called Little Girls in Pretty Boxes. And it's basically all about gymnasts and figure skaters. They were weighed three times a day. And when they were not meeting weights, because it's, it's an aesthetic condition, they have to look a certain way. The coaches are brutal on these young girls. The things they make them do to keep weight delay puberty. It can have consequences for the rest of their life. And so some of the most precious-looking, dainty-looking Beautiful athletes have had some very harsh training. Now, I can't relate to that harsh a training. You know, I've, I had a time where I was... Well, I on. did say beautiful. <laughs> okay, well, I don't have the beautiful either. We knew that one already. That's why we're doing a podcast, not, not a TV show. Yeah, you have a good face for radio. No yeah, question no, about definitely. it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I had a point where I was getting weighed every day. As you know, my I was very underweight when I first started college. And... There was a point where one time I didn't make weight and I was told to gain six pounds in six days. And it's, we went to such lengths that I had four seniors and our star, our star player driving me to all-you-can-eat sushi at 11 p.m. at night because I was two, three pounds short. And, you know, I didn't sleep that night chugging water, making sure I got as much weight on me as I could going in. So I'll tell you a funny story. It has nothing to do with this, but it's funny, so I'll tell it. Sounds good. So I had a patient, and she wanted she wanted to join the L.A. police, and you had to be 5'2", and she was 5'1 and a quarter inches. So she says, can I stretch her? I said, well, I can stretch you, but it's not going to last. She goes, well, can it last like 
eight hours. I go, oh yeah, I can stretch you to the last eight hours. So I put her on this rack and we stretched her over and over. And finally, we got her up to five, two and a half. She gets in the car. She's five, two and a half. She's laying in the car upside down. So gravity's pulling on her and everything. (laughs) She gets there. She does her physical and they don't take her height. She goes, hey, you forgot to take my height. Oh, we did away with that. You don't have to be any height anymore. So anyhow, sometimes it can work out for the best even when you, you know. But these things that uh, Alan's talking about with with the uh, gymnasts, and and it's, it's actually an almost all sports in different ways. Like for you, you were too light. For some, they're too heavy. For some, they're too tall. They're too, they're too this, they're too that, whatever. And it goes back to the same thing. Title IX is a great vehicle to help women have a chance in school for an education, okay, to learn about teamwork, to learn about camaraderie, to make lifetime friends. And if they look at it that way, these young girls going in, they're going to get much more out of it as far as I'm concerned, no matter how abusive some stupid coach might try to be because you have to look at them. Anson Dorrance is the head coach for the University of Carolina women's soccer, North Carolina women's soccer. Most successful, maybe coach still to this day as far as wins and losses in, in, in the history of any sport. And I had him doing a lecture out here once for a bunch of uh, coaches. And he says, you know, we always look at coaches and we judge them by their, you know, wins and losses. He says the best way to judge a coach, if you want to find out if a coach is good, find out how the worst player on the team feels about the coach. Because well, the Alex worst, could tell you. Yeah, I'll tell worst, you right now. <laughs> if the worst player on the team loves the coach, that's a great coach. Because that that player is not playing. Okay, he's riding the pine, or she's riding the pine. But if she knows that they're fair. You got a great coach. And unfortunately, colleges, first off, um, I think Alan had some of the statistics. Maybe you're going to bring that up as far as how many women coaches there are now compared to. Oh, uh, we did that last show. Uh, it went from 90% down to 42% right. since Title IX has been in effect. And so what happens is, though, lots of times when you get these coaches, they really and truly are more concerned about themselves, their job, and everything else instead of the development. You know, you look at great coaches like the UCLA coach for basketball, and 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 I think Anson is a great coach, and and they get great results because of the way they handle their people, and they're having fun all the time. All right, they're competitive all the time, but that's what the racehorse wants. And like Alan was saying, these athletes at that level, they're all racehorses. They want to be competitive. They want to be pushed in those ways, but safely pushed. Plus, they can pee on command. Yes. (laughs) And you told me earlier, uh, Alex, about, uh, you know, a strength and conditioning coach. Yes. And uh, how he was really, in a sense, abusive because he was pushing you to do things when when you had an injury. If I was an athletic director of a college and I had somebody doing that to my athletes I'd have him fired in a second because he's not helping my athletes he's hurting my program there's a difference between a coach who says you're selfish you're making excuses saying there's something wrong with you a coach can curse at you even but with information and knowledge to make you better so this guy just like Alex's friend who was the disciplinary challenge (laughs) Alex had a weight challenge they were all actually trying to make him better. And when that coach left for another college, that's when things fell apart. Right. That, right. Because the, the respect wasn't the coach, there for the other The guy. coach that had pushed me for the weight, I totally respected. It was the, it was that hard that made you competitive every day. 
And by the end of the day, when you had done what he said, it was fun. It was really fun to show him I did it. Now, the weight training guy he's talking about, he he was just trying to get people past the edge of breaking. Like, he wanted you to feel like your back's going to break, and then you show you can survive it. Well, I almost broke my back. So, at that point, it was, you know, it was uh, almost like he didn't want me to... He wanted me to keep going on, and I felt I could not keep going on. And all it's my different agreed, if, the so. co- if the coach works as hard as you do at making you better. You can respect the that. The keyword was, yeah, was at making you better. Well, there. I'll yeah, give you definitely. an example. There is a business book called In Search of Excellence. You being yeah. a business major, you probably don't know anything about it. I've read but, it a few times. But one of the companies they studied, they were studying this guy who was the, such a good leader of his group, like a foreman, yeah. and he got more work out of his guys than anybody else. And they found out that what he would do is if a guy did extra good work, he would bring in a piece of his wife's pumpkin pie, and the guy would get that. And so the guys would compete for that. So the company said, oh, this is a great idea. We'll just give them little coupons for the cafeteria so they can get a, a pumpkin pie. pie. Not the same. It didn't work. Right. It's not the same thing. Sure. It, the, the reward looks the same, but there is less input from the coach. When it comes from the person, listen, when management or leadership is done right, you know, a soldier will follow you into battle anywhere. And when it's done wrong, they're going to shoot you in the back. Okay, because they don't want to die for you. Do you agree with that, Terry, by the way? He's <laughs> <laughs> wearing my grandpa's polo that says Terry on it. It's geezer golf in honor of geezers uh, everywhere. I oh, say, okay, man. Okay. Just check on that. He's yeah. playing in the six-foot well, I just thought maybe it was because he's, he's getting so old the, he forgot his name, and now he doesn't playing, even remember that the name he's is He's playing in the six-foot well, under league. There's now, another old book this old man made me read called The One-Minute Manager that brought up the idea of immediately – giving praise to someone for getting a, a good job done and how far that actually goes when they do it right away that they did a good job and that you're there for them when they do try and fail as long as you have them trying and failing on their own so they can learn on their own it's it's pursuing the individual to succeed right. one of the most successful restaurants in california is javier's they're opening up a new one in, in west in uh century city within a few months and then there'll be another one in la jolla Phenomenal success. I still won't be able to get a table, so it won't matter without your help. Yeah, but anyhow, (laughs) it's a phenomenal success story. The first time I saw him, he was a GM for a different chain, and he's dressed to the tins in a three-piece suit, but he's busing tables because the place is so crowded, and he's serving food. He's doing everything that has to be done besides his regular job, and that's called leadership. That's called leading by example. And I saw this, and, and when I was going through college, I was a waiter, and let me tell you, my manager sat back and looked at us to see if we were doing our job. This guy led. And if I would have worked for this guy, I would have done anything for him. So it's the same thing with coaching. Too bad no you, difference. Too bad you didn't make the cut. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, maybe Shut I could get a table that way. <laughs> we're right. going to dinner tonight. Oh, my gosh. Anyhow. <laughs> you guys got some final thoughts on this topic before I sign off on you guys? Well, I, th- I think that the one thing I would hope uh, athletes would know is that they really need to talk to each other, support each other, be respectful to the coach, even if the coach isn't respectful to them, and take it as a learning experience. If the coach goes too far out of bounds, then you got to, you know, then you might have to do something else. But I mean, especially if it's anything physical, but um, if they yell at you or they lie to you or they're doing things like that. Just make sure the team knows that, hey, you know what? We're in this together. 
And if you know that somebody in your team is a snitch to the coach, or you know, because you're going to have those people too, you know, you got to bypass those people because they're not going to do anybody any good. And there's always somebody in the group that's like that. Uh, and then it's a good experience, even with with a coach that isn't great, you can still make it a great experience. Definitely a lot of learning experiences. I would say, if you are an elite athlete and you ever feel unlucky, there's most of you have one, at least one other person you can look at and say. God, they've got it worse than I do, and that's your sibling. Your parents have put all their time and resources and efforts on the elite athlete in your family. And if you're a sibling of an elite athlete and you're not an elite athlete, that can have its own challenges for you. But that's for another show on another day. Another show for another and another day. family. And a, no, <laughs> we, yeah, definitely another family. I mean. Myself, my sister was an only child, so I really can't. I don't speak know. For that. <laughs> Call my sister an elite athlete, but no, but she was an only child. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for coming on, you guys. Our pleasure. All right, that's all the time we have this week. I'd like to thank my guests, Dr. Phil Serens and Dr. Alan Streisak. Thank you very much. Make sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, Google Play. And on our official website, alexanderstryzak.wixsite.com slash moosesmulligans. Keep those questions and comments rolling in. And looking forward to another great show next week. I'm your host, Alex Stryzak. And remember, fairways and greens, no mulligans. We'll see you next week. But I can't say I'm